Well, hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. I just want to continue celebrating what a great week last Sunday was. Powerful testimonies. I'm so grateful for those students who shared. I, I'm praying and believing that there was a great launch back into school, whether that's in school, homeschool, or you're just old school. Whatever the school is, I'm praying that it was a great and successful launch. Praying for all of you. Our, our, our church is praying for you. We know it's a big deal. Uh, I had a birthday last week. I got older. Thanks to all of you for your kind blessings, your nice words, and your gifts. That was very nice. Thank you for that. Uh, but also, a special moment for us last week in our Ingram household, our youngest son, Eli, on July 24th, received Jesus as his Savior. Then on August 8th, he was baptized right there at the church. It was a gr great celebration, uh, a glowing time in my spirit. Glory to God! Uh, it's incredible. I, I love the fact that my son Eli is on his journey to finding abundant life in King Jesus. That's, that's why we exist as a church. We exist to help people find abundant life in Jesus. And abundant life you can define in really in just one word. Uh, it's not a trendy word. It's a word called discipleship. Everyone out there say discipleship, right? I mean, it's not trendy. It's not like this super beautiful, cool word. But I tell you, discipleship is a word of power. It's a word of purpose. It's a word that brings fulfillment as we live out the life of discipleship. Disciples at their root, we believe, are four things. They're people who meet God that's first of all in salvation and then regularly meeting with God, just like you're doing right now, spending time in this church service together. We're meeting with God. Then the disciples also are ones who discover who they are in Christ. It's all about identity. Then disciples become more and more like Jesus. And through it all, through all this time, disciples lead others to do the very same thing that they're doing. Meeting with God, discovering who they are, becoming like Jesus, leading others to do the same. Meet, discover, become, lead. Why don't you say it out there together? Meet, discover, become, lead. That's discipleship. That's where abundant life is found. Now, as you think about that, I want you to consider this. In general, what do you think? Are people in this world, I mean all people all over the world, are they alive spiritually or dead spiritually? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer question, but think about it for a second. Are people in general alive or dead spiritually? Are they finding fulfillment in life or is it more like, hey, I'm just trying to get to tomorrow, right? Now, based on what I think you're thinking, I'll tell you that I agree with you. People, for the most part, are alive on the outside. Their physical bodies are alive, but their spirit is dead within, and hey, you and I may say, I feel like that sometimes. You may feel that way this very moment. Like I'm living on the outside, but inside I'm dying. Why are things so hard? Why am I unmotivated? Why do I feel so discouraged? You know, like why? And I, I want to tell you the answer to that question is the reason for the series we're starting today called God. Is that you? Like as a pastor, it's one of the most often questions that I'm asked, like, am I hearing God or am I hearing last night's pizza or just playing something on repeat I heard from somewhere else? Is that God? And I want to tell you why I believe that for the most part, people are alive physically, but dead spiritually. And here's the reason why. We are living in an age of famine. In an age of famine. The prophet Amos 
wrote way back when something that applies to us today. He says, look, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but rather a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. He goes on to say that people will stagger from sea to sea, from the north to the east. They will run back and forth searching for a message from the Lord, but they won't find it. At that time, the beautiful virgins will faint, as will the strong young men from thirst. Amos is writing, and even today we can declare people are dying on the inside. They are faint. Even, he goes on to say, beautiful young women and the strong men. In other words, those who you would think are immune or they're not easily affected, but even they are affected because why? They are thirsty, not for water. They're hungry, not for food, but from a lack of hearing the words of God. Now, to be clear, it really isn't a famine as much as it is a litting. That's a word I just made up, right? Famine implies that God isn't speaking, like that the rain isn't falling. Well, I want to tell you this. The rain is falling. It is raining. God is speaking. We are just living in a time where there's a lid over us in general. Our ears are plugged. Our hearts are stiffened against the words of Almighty God. We've rejected the promises. That's important. When you think about this, in the very beginning of the Bible, a man named Abraham heard the Lord and moved toward the promise. Another man, Moses, heard the Lord and delivered God's people out of slavery so that they could enter into the promise. And then it was Joshua who heard the Lord and eventually led God's people triumphantly into the promise. It was the promise realized because they had heard first from the Lord. In this series, God is that you, I want to teach you how to hear God. Like to be able to hear God speaking to you, to break the famine in your own life, to take off the lid so that you can hear from God and that you may live so that God's promises can be heard and fulfilled in your life. If today you feel faint, like you've wandered from sea to sea looking for respite, you're looking for help, for answers, today's your day. We're going to break the famine in the name of Jesus. I want you to believe again. I want you to have hope again that you can hear from the Lord. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. In other words, the famine is broken. Faith arises when we hear. So let me ask you, do you hear God? Or do you wonder, like, God, God is, that, is that you? I'm not sure it's you. I'm not sure what I'm hearing. I'm not hearing anything. Today's message is entitled, Be Opened. And I pray that our ears would be opened to the life-saving voice of God. Somebody say amen. Type it in the comments there. Whatever. If you have a Bible, I want you to take it out. I got my Bible open to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, one of, the, one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So there in Mark chapter 7, I want you to find verse 31, and we're going to be reading about the healing of a deaf and mute man. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Here we go. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon. I hope I'm saying that right. Down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There, the Bible reads, verse 32, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and who could, note, barely talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Jesus, heal him. 
after he, that's Jesus, took him, the man who was deaf and mute, aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him this word in the Aramaic, it's Ephatha. Ephatha, which means we get the translation right here from the writer, be opened. At this, the scripture records, the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. And then Jesus does something incredible. He says, hey, uh, do not tell anyone. But the more he told them to do, to not tell anyone, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they, they said of Jesus. He, has, uh, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Incredible. And I don't want to rush past the very first part of this section of scripture because it just sounds like it's a setting verse. Like this is where this happened. Like, hey, this play takes place in Kansas. Mark starts by saying, hey, in the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. And you could skip all that if you wanted to. But when he captured this story, it was very purposeful. Let me explain what's happening here. And uh, you'll see a map come on the screen a little bit, but I wanna show you where Jesus grew up and what was happening by the time we get to Mark chapter seven. Jesus is from the area of uh, Israel called Galilee. It's the northern region of Israel. There's a north section of Israel as opposed to the southern region, which is called Judea. They're split in the middle by a region called Samaria. But in that southern region, you have places like Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Jericho. Those are all in the southern region. But Galilee is up to the north and it's named Galilee because of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, that is the central focus of the region there. Now, Jesus spent most of his life and ministry on the western banks of the Sea of Galilee. He spent a little bit of time in Egypt with his family, and then he's at the temple in Jerusalem, but he spent most of his life on the western banks of the Sea of Galilee. It's at the Sea of Galilee where he primarily grew up. And it's on the western side of the Sea of Galilee where he first called his disciples when he began his ministry. It's the place where his first miracles, they're right there. When they, they lowered the man through the ceiling down to his feet, it was near the Sea of Galilee. When he turned water into wine, it was in this region. When he feeds the 5,000, the Sermon on the Mount, all that stuff happens up near the Sea of Galilee and then around the towns of Galilee. But now... In this one short verse, Mark chapter 7, verse 31, Jesus travels to the north and west up to Tyre, where he performs a miracle. And then he moves on to Sidon, which we don't hear what happens there, but we know something incredible happened there because Jesus was there and ends up eventually going over the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee, traveling all the way down in about 150, 160 mile journey to the region called Decapolis. And Decapolis is at the very southeastern tip of the Sea of Galilee. All right, keep that in mind, but also know this. During this journey to Tyre and Sidon and then eventually down to the Capolis, Jesus only took the 12 disciples. He'd been in Galilee and there's all these crowds and people and lots and lots of people. And finally he's like, hey, come with me because the disciples, they had witnessed Jesus's power and they've declared out of their own mouths that he is the son of God, like they're getting it. And so now Jesus takes them on short of what you might call a walking seminary. Like, hey, we're going to get away. We're going to go on retreat. And I'm going to train you all along the way. And he does so in Tyre. He does so in Sidon. And he does so down in Decapolis. Speaking of Decapolis, Decapolis, like you know, we're in Olympic season, Decathlon. Decathlon has 10 events. Decapolis 
had a collection of 10 cities in this region. All of those cities were called Hellenistic cities, meaning they were Greek. They're all of them heathen, not godly. They're idolatrous. They, they had these temples. They had lots of temples that they erected to false gods. And in these temples was typically a lot of debauchery that I will not describe, but you just imagine it for yourself. Well, it's in this region, at the end of this journey, really maybe in the middle of the journey, that Jesus meets this deaf, mute man. Why is any of this of note? I want you to pay attention here. It's of note because Jesus has come to this man to close the gap. It's very important. The first gap is all relational. Uh, let me explain. I know you would understand this, but to be deaf and to be mute effectively would cut you off from society. You're unable to relate. How can I speak? I'm mute and I'm deaf, so I can't hear what you're saying. I'm unable to relate to you. Like some people would say, how did this condition come upon this man that he's deaf and mute? Well, he couldn't defend himself. He couldn't say, hey, I was born like this. This is a physical condition. So the rabbis, the leaders of the temple, they would expel the deaf and mute man on the off chance that his deafness and his muteness was related to a sin condition or a demon and not just a physical condition. Because they couldn't tell and because he couldn't tell them, they just assumed you're probably jacked up inside. And so the deaf and mute man was castigated to the group of the insane. He's just rejected. You get it? Blind people, they can still talk and relate. Those with leprosy, they can still talk and relate, but not a deaf and a mute person. Helen Keller herself said this, this quote, blindness separates us from things, but deafness separates us from people. This man was relationally isolated. There is a gap there. The second gap is physical. This guy is effectively in the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. Jesus went out of his way to intersect with this specific man, just like he does with the woman in Tyre. There's a woman in Tyre whose daughter is demon-possessed, and Jesus intersects with her and saves this demon-possessed woman, just like Jesus did for the woman at the well. He goes into enemy territory to meet with a foreign woman who is an adulteress, and Jesus goes to enter. He goes out of his way to intersect with those people. He's doing it now with this deaf and mute man. Jesus was showing the disciples that in the places most remote, farthest from God, and for the people most rejected and isolated, I have come to heal them and set them free. This is the lesson. This is the seminary for the 12 disciples. Better than the seminary I went to, and I went to a decent one. This is the truth now today for us as well. Would you believe it that Jesus goes out of his way to get in our way? Like he moves from where he is, from his place of comfort, from his hometown, his region. He moves away from there to come and intersect with us, much less leaving Galilee. He left heaven to intersect with us, to close the gap. If you today, as I'm speaking, feel far off from God, if you feel like he won't speak to you, you're not hearing from him because of that distance or because of the sin, you feel rejected or isolated, whatever the case may be, I want you to know this. Jesus showed up in Decapolis for you. He showed up in Decapolis for me. Jesus shows up in the middle of the bankruptcy. Jesus shows up in the middle of the divorce. Jesus shows up in the middle of the diagnosis. Jesus shows up in the most unlikely places. The question we've got to ask is, why? Jesus, what are you doing here? Jesus, what do you want to say? 
Well, to answer that question, let's look back at the scripture that we read today. Specifically, I want to look at the man that Jesus came to heal. And I want you to notice specifically the combination of his ailments. He's both deaf and, Mark writes, hardly able to speak, which without being derogatory or inflammatory, you've probably seen before in your lifetime or seen on TV or somewhere. Somebody that is hard of hearing, also hard to to speak. It sounds mumbly. It doesn't sound right to us or what we would consider normal. It sounds different. Now, reading the scripture, the better way that we might be able to understand it would be this. This man is deaf and therefore unable to speak. The two conditions are connected. For if you've never heard language spoken correctly, how could one ever put together a coherent coherent sentence that doesn't sound mumbly or muted? One cannot speak well if one cannot hear well. They're connected. Now think about that for a second. If we can't hear what's right, we can't speak what's right. If we can't hear what's right, we can't speak what's right. I'm going to do a, a little uh, little uh, listening game. I don't know what else to call it. I want to do it right here and right now. So in just a second, I'm going to ask you to cover your ears. You can plug with your fingers. You can do whatever it is, but try really hard to plug them up. And then I'm going to say something, and then I'm going to ask you to tell me, well, at least type in the comments what you think I'm saying. All right? So on the count of three, put your fingers in. Ready? One, two, three. There you go. I don't like ants in my pants, but an anteater would. Okay, you can open your ears now. I didn't tell you how long to hold them. Uh, Open your ears now. Did anybody catch what I said? Just go ahead and type it in the comments. Let's see if anybody got it right. Here's what I said, and I made it this sentence. It's the most weird sentence ever. Uh, Here it is. I don't like ants in my pants, but an anteater would. Now, if you heard anything else, then you communicated the wrong thing when I asked you to tell me what the answer is. If we cannot hear right, if we have not heard correctly, how can we speak correctly? How can we give counsel if we have not heard correctly? How can we make decisions and talk about decisions if we have not heard correctly? How can we teach anybody else if we have not heard correctly? And by the way, this includes the way the words that we say only to ourselves, our thoughts. Is it possible you've been misspeaking to yourself all your life because you've been mishearing? You've misheard what God really thinks about you. You've misheard what God sees in you. Is it possible that you have a problem with the words you say internally and externally because you have a problem with the words you hear or maybe you don't hear words at all? That sounds a little heavy. Sounds a little Debbie Downer depressing. So let's rephrase this thought with a better, more hopeful outcome. It's the entire purpose of today, really of this series. Once we are able to hear what's right, we can speak and think what's right. And that's exactly what happens to this man. But before we get there about him getting his hearing and his speech back, we must ask how. How does this man go from deaf and mute to hearing and speaking? And the answer is astounding. Jesus, because he's Jesus and does the best things, actually uses sign language with this man. Like right before the healing moment, Jesus does five things which the man, though he can't hear or speak, he can clearly see he's not blind and grasp. 
Yeah, you may know that, that people who are impaired in one area usually have like an accentuated ability in another area. So this guy probably could see extremely well. And Jesus knows that. So he's going to physically demonstrate to this man using his own version of sign language what's about to happen to this man. The first thing that Jesus does is he pulls the man alone to the side. It's a physical act. There are throngs. If you go read in Matthew chapter 15, it's another retelling of the same story. There are lots of people around. People wanting healing for the lame, the mute, the deaf, whatever. They're bringing tons of people to him. And Jesus pulls this man to the side. He takes this forgotten, rejected, unseen man and brings him over to minister to his heart. I mean, don't you think it's safe to say that this man has never felt this scene before in all his life? That he's never felt so important in all his life? Man, this guy, Jesus is here and everyone wants to be around him. And what's going on? And then he picks me. He, he pulls me aside. <laughs> wow. The second thing that Jesus does is he takes his fingers and he puts them in the guy's ears. Just like that. Why does he do that? It's sign language again. It's Jesus saying to the man like, hey, I know what the problem is. I know you can't hear. I understand. And I'm about to help you with this. You can't tell me you're deaf, but I know it. And I'm going to deal with this. And thirdly, it's very similar to the touching of ears. Jesus spits and then touches the man's tongues as, as if saying, I know that this is not working. Nothing's coming out of your tongue. And he touches the tongue and he's saying to the man with the touching of ears and the touching of the tongue, no, you're not insane. You're not deficient. You just have a physical impairment and I am going to heal these things. I'm going to heal them. And he's touching them. Like I get it. And the next the scripture records in Jesus' sign language continues. He looks up into heaven and he, as if to say, my friend, what's about to happen to you comes from above. It comes from God. It's not a magic trick. It's not some sideshow healing. It's the power of heaven coming to earth for you. And finally, before the healing, Jesus takes a deep sigh. And it's like, wow, I'm about to do a, a big job. It's not that kind of sigh. It's more a sigh of compassion. That's how we should understand it. This has been hard for you. You've walked in pain. You've been rejected. And now the time has come for you to be free. And he takes this breath. It's like, oh, it's going to happen. And then he speaks one Word And I want to tell you, it's all this physical activity. It's not a magic act. It's not like, hey, if you want somebody to be healed in your life, you need to do all these things. Jesus is just communicating love to this guy. He takes this breath in and then he speaks one word, just one word. He says, Ephatha. Ephatha is a better way to say it. Ephatha. Ephatha means be opened. And even more specifically, Ephatha means be opened completely, no restraint, no residual, like partially hearing. Be completely opened. And immediately when Jesus says the word, the scripture records that two things happen. First of all, suddenly this man can hear fully. Whoa. And says he can talk plainly. It's an interesting choice of words. Plainly doesn't mean like his talk is bland. Welcome to geometry. We are going to learn cosine and monotone and boring. It's, it's not plain like that, but rather it means like it's clear. It's plain and obvious what he is saying. Suddenly, a man who's never heard talking before and has never spoken any language is all of a sudden talking this language as if he's been doing it his whole life. 
Think about it. He didn't have speech therapy. When people walk by and say, hey, how can you speak? He doesn't say like, hey, hooked on phonics worked for me. No. How did it happen? One word from Jesus. Ephatha. One word from Jesus changed everything. Let's put it into the present tense. One word from Jesus changes everything. Jesus with this word creates something from nothing, just as God did in the the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, when there was no light, God said, let there be light. And out of nothing came light. Where there was no hearing here in Mark chapter seven, Jesus said, Ephatha, be opened. And there was hearing. Be opened, be opened. The first step in our journey to hearing the Lord and breaking the famine in our lives is making sure that which is closed becomes opened. So I say to you in the name of Jesus, Ephatha, Ephatha. Maybe you need to speak it over yourself. Ephatha, Lord, may it be opened. Open the channel, turn on the antenna, tune me in. I want to hear you, God. You know, if you're like me, there's a time in my life where I had heard that God spoke to people. I had heard like, man, God spoke to me. God spoke. It was during that time that I believed God could speak to people, but I doubted he would speak to me. Can I say that again? I, I believed God could, but I doubted that he would for me. You feeling what I'm saying? Hearing God in my mind was reserved for like the special people. Or hearing from God was such a marvelous, incredible, deep thing that it was too enormous for a simple guy like me. Until two things happened that changed my life. First of all, I learned about something called rhema. It's here on your screen. It's a cool word, R-H-E-M-A, rhema. Rhema is when you're reading the word of God and as you're reading it, Something jumps into your spirit as you read it. And God infuses a new word into your spirit where there have been lies and deception. Suddenly there's new truth and revelation and encouragement. Let let me show you how it works in real time. Uh, And uh, this is awesome. I just love sharing this story. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I uh, were at a wedding in Dallas area. And uh, we were supposed to fly home Sunday afternoon. And we arrived home Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. That's when I laid my head down on my pillow. What happened in the middle? (laughs) Two flight cancellations, one on Sunday, one on Monday, renting a car in a line that was an hour and a half long to rent a car, drove three and a half hours down to Austin, Texas to jump on a different carrier and fly home. By the way, when we got home, we had to sit in the gate for 30 minutes because there was no crew there to help us. Then we drove home from Sanford, Orlando, way up where Allegiant lands, and drove an hour home. And then we got our luggage the next day because it was at the other airport and it was soaking wet all the way through. Praise Jesus. Now, (laughs) a greater man might've handled it differently. I was stressing type A personality. We got to get home. We're missing this. We got to get to that and, and all the cancellations and getting another ticket. And in the midst of all that, an old demon, because I was stressed and weak, came to visit And if you know me, uh, you've heard this story before, but I once had a panic attack on an airplane, passed out in my wife's lap. And going through all of this stuff 
trying to leave Texas stressed out and working all these situations, that little voice tried to speak up into my head again and I fixated on it. It was like once the seed was planted, I couldn't release it. All I kept thinking is I'm gonna get on this plane and I'm gonna freak out. I'm gonna have a panic attack. And I'm sitting there at the airport, stressing, nervous, twitching, angry, not good, not godly, not good. (laughs) And I opened the word of God. I said, man, I need to replace what's going on in here with some truth. And so I read the book of Ruth and the Lord gave me a rhema word a word lifted from the scriptures, the the verse that he had my eyes drawn to, like lit up my soul, like, whoa, pay attention to this. Seems random at first, but here's what it said. Ruth chapter one, verse 20. Don't call me Naomi, she told him. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. And like, yep, sounds like me. Here I am in the middle of nowhere, Texas now, on my third flight, gone through 14 TSA checks. Uh, I've been delayed and delayed and delayed and canceled and ah, I get it. And the Lord's like, that. that's not what I was trying to show you. If you don't know the story of Ruth and Naomi, um, go read it. It's a super short book, but it's powerful. Essentially, Naomi, her husband and her two sons had died. And one of her daughters-in-law, her name is Ruth, married to one of her sons, had stuck by her side throughout this whole thing. And there's a lot of stuff that happens, but the end of the story is that God redeems it all. Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of King David, and eventually, farther down the line in her family tree, both Ruth and Naomi, is this guy named Jesus. Jesus. At one point, Naomi's crying out like, man, the Lord has cursed me. I'm embittered. This is terrible and awful. And God's like saying, hey, 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 Naomi, you're cursing your current circumstances without knowing the end of the story. You feeling me now? So I was sitting in that airport. I got a rainbow word. God speaking to me, hearing his voice. I felt like the Lord said to me, Tim, the story isn't over yet. Wait for me to do what only I can do. So you know what happened? I got on the airplane and I was expecting like, okay, it's going to be a battle. I want to be tense. I'm going to be anxious. I may pass out. And not for one second on that flight was I anxious at all. And really the end of the story is not the fact that I got through the flight. The end of the story is that I get to stand here in front of you and testify that God speaks. His word erased lies. It brought truth to my spirit and he soared in my life as usual. What the enemy meant for harm to me through that day of awful travelness, God uses for good. And it happened because I heard from the Lord, a rhema word. The other thing that happened to me that opened my ears is that I became really good friends with someone. This someone happens to be really, 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 really powerful. Like I got deep, quick with this person and got access into a world I thought was reserved for special people like Billy Graham and a Pope, right? My friend's name is Ruah. You may know it better as Holy Spirit. When you become friends with the Holy Spirit, you can find out that the Holy Spirit has so much to say. It's not like he's verbose and over talkative. He has the exact right thing to say at the right time. The problem is for most of us and for a big part of my life, I wasn't friends with him. I knew of him. I treated his distant other. He's holy. He's special. But now in friendship with him, I, I know it. He's speaking all 
the time, and by the way, the Holy Spirit is a gentle spirit and usually speaks when I'm willing to listen. So often, very often, I will simply ask in the middle of the day, Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you think? What do you have to say? What would you do? What would you like me to do? What would you like me to say? And here's the trick that I listen. I just sit and listen. And a thought comes to mind. And when that thought comes to mind, I meditate it on more and more. I open the scriptures like, God, what does this mean? What are you saying to me? And now this is a daily occurrence. And often it's a moment by moment occurrence. Like I just pause, listen, ask, listen, ears open. And once the ears are open and hearing comes, now the mouth knows the right thing to say. The mind knows the right thing to think. But it all starts with hearing. Hearing. So today's message ends just like this, with a chance for you to hear, to listen. It's one thing to hear, it's another thing to listen. I want you to think about right now the hardest thing that you're facing, whatever it is in your life. I want you to hold it there in your mind. I want you to feel it there in your chest. What's the obstacle? What's the difficulty? What's, what's the pain point? What's the stress? Whatever that is, just hold it there for a second. I don't wanna exalt it and I don't want it to overwhelm you. I just want you to acknowledge it, okay? I see it. It's hard. It's difficult. It's weighing you down. Okay? You have it there? Now, as we pause, I just want to pray over you. And I want you to receive this into your spirit. I want you to, uh, you have to kind of like open up your spirit. Like I'm, a, I'm about to receive something. So just be ready. Here's the prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I declare over every person who's listening to the sound of my voice, Ephatha, be opened. Oh, King Jesus, through the power of your word, we open the channel of our spirits to hear you clearly. Speak, Lord, now, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name. Now go ahead, just in the quiet. Ask the Holy Spirit about this thing that you're worried about, concerned about, hurting over. And I want you to take note of everything that pops up into your mind. Some thoughts you can easily discard, like, that guy's voice is weird, his shirt is wrinkled, whatever, discard them. But there'll be other thoughts that just kind of ring true. They, they hold your gaze. The, they, they feel like they're directive, they're commanding or comforting or encouraging, whatever it is, I want you to take note of it. And I'm just gonna be quiet and let you do that for a second. I have great faith, great expectation, not based on my ability or any demand of a human, but based on the promises of God, that when we speak to him and seek him, we will find. And because you've sought the Lord today, asking God, what do you want to say? What do you want to do in regards to the situation? I believe that he has spoken into your life. If you feel like you missed it, go back and keep listening and let the Lord drop something in there. And I'd love for you to write it down and this week meditate on it. God, what'd you mean when you showed me this, 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 this picture or this word and just plumb it and it will begin to unlock areas that have been locked. And listen, you can do this every moment of the day. It's not a special exercise reserved for some place. It's just taking the time to pause, listen, and hear from the Lord. Next week, we're going to talk about unplugging some of what's plugged us up 
And uh, it's going to be a very freeing time together. I hope that you join us. But for today, begin practicing, pausing and listening. Be opened ears and allow God's words to bring life. We declare in the name of Jesus, the famine is over. God bless you.